a year previous, I'd ask Santa for a couple things, and he ended up not getting what he asked Santa for. So then the next Christmas approached, and he decided, you know what? I'm gonna write a letter to God and uh, see if God can get me what I want, because Santa just didn't come through for him in the way that he thought. And so he begins this letter that he's gonna write to God, and he says, dear God, I've been a good boy for six months now, and I would really like, and then he pauses and goes, ah, dang it. God's gonna know I actually haven't been a good boy for six months. And so he erases it and starts over. And he says, dear God, I've been a really good boy for three months now, and so I'd really like, and then he goes, ah, no, that's not true either. And it kind of keeps getting reduced. He's like, I've been a good boy for a month. And then he's like, no, and I've been a good boy for two weeks. He's like, no. So eventually he goes over to the nativity scene that his mom had set up there in the living room and he takes Mary and he picks up Mary from the nativity scene and he comes back to his letter and he says, dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again. <laughs> and then he ended up getting what he wanted. So just a funny story I thought I'd share with you guys. And it's funny how how crazy some people are and how funny it is how far people will go to get the things that they want for Christmas. And uh, in the same way, it's interesting, the Christmas story that we actually see in the Gospel of Matthew is a story of not how far we went to get what we want, but it's a story of how far God was willing to go to get what he wanted. And what he wanted was very surprising. It was actually us. It was actually a relationship with people. We're here to celebrate today, Emmanuel, God with us. And so I wanna read the Christmas story to you guys, starting in verse 18. We're gonna have it on the screen for you to follow along as well. It says, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So today, this is what we're here to reflect on and what we're here to, to celebrate, the story of 2,000 years ago of the angel announcing a message to a man by the name of Joseph and a virgin girl by the name of Mary that to Mary, a child was gonna be born who would be named Jesus and that this Jesus would save his people from his sins and the only way that he was gonna be able to do that is because he was Emmanuel. He was God with us. Now, whenever you read the story, Maybe this is the first time some of you guys have heard this story, the birth of Jesus being called Emmanuel, God with us. Maybe this is some of your first time hearing about the coming of the Savior. It's what we call in theology, the incarnation, God, the creator taking on human flesh. Whenever you hear that claim that this is not just a normal birth, this is God with us, that this is actually God and yet he's fully man, there's usually four responses to that. When we think about the incarnation, Jesus coming to the 
this earth as a man, God with us. And I wanted to real briefly just shed some insight onto the four responses. And most of you, in fact, every one of you will be in one of these four camps when you think about what do you think about God with us? What do you think about Emmanuel, Jesus being God with us? There's four different responses. And I hope that you can find out and discover what camp you're in. And I hope that uh, we can shed some light upon where Jesus wants to just bring you further in deeper at this time. So the first camp in our response to the incarnation is called life over God. And this life over God is what we would call the secular response. Life over God says the quicker that you can suppress and bury anything to do with God, the healthier and the happier we're gonna be as a society. These are the people who at the time of Christmas when it kind of starts to come, they love to sing, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and we love to sing Frosty the Snowman. But when you start singing actual Christmas carols, you kind of begin to feel a little bit uncomfortable when we're talking about Jesus in the story. And so people who live with life over God categorize the Christmas story kind of in the same way as like maybe the Tooth Fairy or the Easter Bunny. We, we kind of have just made it a nice, fun thing, but they believe with life over God, they think that we can trust our own wisdom rather than God. We look at the incarnation and say, God with us, and we say, you know what? I don't need that. I don't need God with me. I have me with me, and therefore I have everything that I need. So life over God, the secular uh, take on the incarnation is essentially human beings taking complete control over everything for themselves. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's saying, I don't need the incarnation. I don't need God with us because I'm, I'm my own God and I'm happy by myself. We have so much advancement in science and so much advancement in technology and psychology that we can understand the natural world as it is apart from God. We don't need God with us. We have progress. Look how far we've come as a human race on our own. And so we remove God from religion. We remove God from a moral framework. We remove God from the cultural narrative at large. And the problem with this is that at the end of the day, our longings ultimately lead to despair. When we try to live life over God and place ourselves over God and remove Emmanuel, God, with us, it leads to despair. And the reason for that is because this, every human being was created in the image of God. God created you, which means you were created to have a relationship with him and he's placed eternity in our hearts is what Ecclesiastes says. So deep down, as much as you try to live life over God and say, I don't need Emmanuel, deep down in your heart, you know that there's something longing in your heart that can't be fulfilled. It's because you are a creature who was made by a creator. And when you try to play the role of God and say, I'm gonna place my life above God, at the end of the day, you know, that's not true. Your morality and, and your humanity slowly begins to take over. Circumstances and things and unfortunate events happen in your life that you have no control over. And at the end of the day, you realize I'm not as in control as I think. And there's people all around us who, who are in this camp and they appear to be happy on the outside. It appears that, wow, their, their life is so great, but deep down inside, they, they know their own mortality. And maybe some of you here are in that camp. Maybe you're here and this is your kind of worldview, life over God. We talk about God with us, the incarnation, and you say, I just don't, I just don't need that because I have myself. And the crazy thing is you've maybe climbed over God and placed your life over God, but at the end of the day, it's kind of crazy that you actually decided to come here to a Christmas Eve service today, and maybe part of that is because deep down, 
You, you haven't found the true thing that your heart's longing for. At the end of the day, you know and you've heard and you've been told what is the meaning of Christmas and the purpose and that maybe there is a greater story and yet that's hard for you to believe. And at the end of the day, we just wanna say, thank you guys for being here. If you're in this camp, we're, we're happy that you're here. We're happy that you're joining us. And my, my prayer and hope for you guys is that you find something more valuable than life over God today, that you have something greater to leave with, that you know at the end of the day that God actually wants to be with you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be Emmanuel, God with us for you. So the first take on the incarnation, life over God. That's the secular response. The second one is what's called life under God. We look at the incarnation that God came to be with. Life under God is what's called the religious response. So this response, religion says, yes, I believe in God. Yes, Emmanuel, God with us. That's amazing. And yet they say, yes, I believe in God. And yet the religious response, life under God, is by my own actions, by my own morals, by the rules I live by, I'm going to try to get God to like me. I'm going to try and get God to bless me because of all the things that I've done and because of my righteousness. These people try to earn God's favor and try to earn God's blessing, and that's what they think God came for. That's what they, that's what they think it is. They think that it's, I got to earn my way to God, and as a result, they try to control God. They try to manipulate God. They ultimately try to make deals with God. God, if I do all these things that you want, then at the end of the day, you, you have to bless me. You have to do what I want. And and people love this. This is why there's so many different religions. Have you ever thought about that? There's millions of different religions. It's because people love religion. Why? Because it's very controllable. It's very controllable. It's very measurable. It's a list of rules that you can always evaluate. How am I doing? And these are the types of people, the life under God, the God, I'll do what's right. And if I do, you have to bless me. These are the types of people who when anything goes wrong in our country, at the end of the day, these are the people who say, this is God. God's judging our nation. God's judging our country because of our godlessness or because of our immorality or because of fill in the blank, anything else that we're doing Wrong. It's life under God. And what it does is it actually pushes people farther away from God. If you say that a relationship with God, if it looks like that, that I just have to try and do all the right things and make God proud of me from living by all these sets of rules and standards, I don't want anything to do with that because those people have pushed me farther away. That's what religion does. It pushes people farther away from God. It doesn't draw them in. And the error of this way of thinking, life under God, that I just do the right things and then God gives me what I want, is that the lie that they've believed is if I just do more, God wouldn't let bad things happen to me. Or if I just do more, then God will bless me. That's ultimately what they believe. But that's not the good news of the incarnation. And that's not the gospel. Your morality does not earn you favor with God. Your morality does not earn you God's blessing. That's religion. And the reality is that's a burden, right? Like to, to, to have to do that, that's a burden. It's exhausting. It, th th there's no life in it. There's no joy in it. And so at the end of the day, what we have to understand is you cannot control God and you cannot demand things from God based off of your actions. And it's a beautiful thing that that's the truth, that that's not what God's looking for, that he's not looking for you just to do all the perfect things to try and earn his favor. That's exhausting. That's religion. And that's not what God wants. That's not what the incarnation is. The incarnation is, again, God with us. 
And so there's something better for us. If you're here and you're in that camp and your whole life you've said, I kind of believe in God and just thought if I do all the right things at the end of life that he's gonna bless me, that's not the way that it works. And there's something better for you today. The third view though, the third camp of people who uh, when we think about the incarnation uh, is a view of people that we would call life from God. And life from God is what we would call the consumer response. So the consumer response ultimately says, God exists. I believe there is God, God with us. I believe in Emmanuel, but God exists to make my life better and to give me everything that's been placed in my heart. So yes, I'm so happy for Emmanuel because God's come, but he's just come to give me everything that I want. These are the people who think that they can use God for their own personal gain. It's thank you, God, that you have come. Now, what can you do for me? God is their butler. God's their provider. God's their therapist. God's their real estate agent. God's their banker. It's like, yes, God, now give me everything. That's amazing. I'm so happy that you're here. I'm so happy that you're with us. It's life from God. It's not the best choice. And these people, They claim to love God. They say, yeah, I love God. But at the end of the day, they don't love God for God. They love God for what he can give to them. Do you see the difference? It's not I'm happy for Emmanuel, God with us because I just want God. It's I'm happy God came to be with us because what can he do for me now? What can he give me now? They don't see the gospel or the incarnation as a relationship, but they see it as a divine benefit package. Oh, sweet, the benefits I can get from this, from Christianity or from a relationship with Jesus, let's go, I'm all in. So life from God says I'm not interested in the relationship, I I just want the provision. I just want want what God can give to me. And if we only love God for the things that he can give us, or if we only love God for the things that he does for us, we actually don't love God. We love the things that he does for us. So it's the root, it's the heart. If I've come to God for what he can do for me, I haven't actually come to God. That's not the foundation of any relationship. You know that. If you're here and you're dating or engaged and married, if your relationship is founded just on what can this person do for me, that relationship isn't gonna last. But if that relationship is founded on I love this person, I wanna pursue this person. I want a relationship with this person at the end of the day. That is a firm foundation upon which to build a relationship. And so these are ultimately, at the end of the day, the three default postures of humanity. When we talk about God with us, Emmanuel, the incarnation, these are the three default postures. There's either the secular view saying, okay, well, God, maybe you're there, maybe you're not, but at the end of the day, I don't really care. I'm gonna do my own thing. And then there's the religious, view. Okay, God, you've come and now look at all these things that I can do to try and earn your favor and earn your blessing. And so you have to do all these things for me because I live my life right. And that's religion and that's exhausting and tiresome. And then there's the consumer view. Again, life from God, which says, I just want stuff from God. God, what can you do for me? God, what can you give me? And my question for you is, uh, have any of these been your responses? Maybe you're here and maybe you're in one of these camps. And as you're really evaluating going, yeah, that's, that's actually what I I think. I actually think I don't need God, or I actually think I have to do all the right things to earn God's favor, or I actually just want to be with God because I want him to bless me and want him to do a lot of things for me. Are you in one of, in any of those camps? And if so, for me, this makes us ask the question as we look at these camps, and uh, they're all, I, I think, a little bit off. At the end of the day, the question I think we're all longing for and would love to know is, what does God actually want for us? 
What does God actually want from us? You're here, it's Christmas Eve. You have all your hopes, you have all your dreams, you have all these passions. What does God actually want from you, right? Like, wouldn't that be an awesome thing to know? Like, what does he want from me? What does he want from you? And at the end of the day, the biblical response we see to Emmanuel is that what we see, take number four, the fourth response to God with us, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, would be simply this. It's, it's God with us. It's God with us. Not my life's above God, my life's below God, my life's away from God. My life is with God. It is God with us. That is the biblical response. And what God wants from you and what God wants for me is just me, is, is just you, which might sound kind of crazy, but that's all he actually wants is just to be with you. That's what Emmanuel is. It's God with you, doing life with you. He doesn't want what you can do for him. He wants you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that good news? There's so much hope in that. And so the Christian life is simply this. It's a life with God. It's not religion. It's not rules. It's not a bunch of stuff you do. It's just a relationship with a person, the person of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And the crazy thing is, if you're familiar with the story of scriptures, the entire Bible, Genesis all the way to Revelation is a story that reveals this truth to us, that all God has ever wanted is to be God with us. All God has ever wanted is a relationship with his people. And for two minutes, I just wanna tell you this story to have you see the whole scope of scriptures. It starts in Genesis chapter three, where in Genesis chapter three, the first humans God created, Adam and Eve, it says that God was walking with them in the cool of the garden. The first thing in relationship with humans, God said, I'm with you. It, it, it was what he wanted from the very beginning. The story of scripture continues. Genesis chapter 28, God told Jacob, who he was raising up to be one of the forefathers and patriarchs, he'd made a covenant with his father Abraham and he told Jacob, he said, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. The same thing that he was with Adam and Eve, with them, he said, I'm, I'm with you, Jacob. I'm gonna be with you wherever you go. Exodus chapter three, the story continues. God raises up Moses and says, Moses, you're gonna deliver these people, my people who are in slavery, you're gonna deliver them out of bondage. And Moses is like, how am I gonna do that? And God says to Moses, I will be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. God said, this is it. You're gonna lead them, how? Because I'm with you, me, God. Well, Moses ends up dying. Joshua becomes his successor. And in Joshua chapter one, God says to Joshua, just as I was with Moses, who brought the people to the edge of the promised land, Joshua is now leading them in. God says, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Isaiah chapter 43, God's people are now in exile. God raises up prophets. The prophet Isaiah said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. The prophet Zephaniah said the same thing in Zephaniah 3. He said, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. So if you look at the scope of the entire Old Testament, what we see is from Genesis to the patriarchs, to the exodus, to the conquest in the promised land, to the judges, to the exile and the prophets God raised up. The entire theme of the Old Testament is simply this, God saying, I'm with you. God being with his people. 
But it doesn't just stop in the Old Testament. Matthew chapter one is the opening narrative of the New Testament. And the first thing we see is Emmanuel's coming. The one who all the prophets prophesied of. And who is he? He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. In Mark chapter three, God appoints 12 disciples. And it says he appointed them that they might be with him. God's whole purpose for discipleship was just, he wanted to be with people. He wanted to hang out with them. He wanted a relationship with them. It's absolutely incredible. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying. It's called the high priestly prayer. And Jesus prays this in John 17. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they can see my glory. Jesus is praying that to the Father. What does he want? He says, I want these people to be with me. I'm Emmanuel, God with us. He says, I want them to be with me. In Matthew chapter 18, which is in the context of church discipline, which no churches ever really do, but in that Matthew 18, it says where two or three are gathered in my name, he says, I am there with them in their midst. God is present in the midst of that. In Matthew chapter 28, the end of the gospels, Matthew one begins with Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew 28 ends with Jesus saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the ages. So the gospels opens with Emmanuel, God with us, and it closes with, and behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. How is that possible? Well, it's possible because in John chapter 14, God said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper who will be with you forever. Even after Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came to be with us. God is now with us and present through the power of his Holy Spirit. And then the entire narrative of scripture closes at the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. Here's what it says in verses three through five. It says, and a And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain. The former things have passed away and he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Isn't that beautiful? The Bible ends with God saying, I'm gonna make all things new. The former things won't be remembered and I will be with my people and my people will be with me. Here's what God wants from you. He wants to be with you. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, from the creation of man to the fall of man when sin entered into the world to the restoration of mankind in the book of Revelation throughout history at every moment and at every point even of human failure and human brokenness. God said, I want to be with you. And he proved that in the incarnation He proved that for what we're celebrating right now, 2,000 years ago. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. The God of the universe doesn't want anything from you. He just simply wants to be with you because he actually cares for you. So to the secular worldview of life above God, I've got good news for you. You don't have to try to be God anymore because there already is one and he's come to be with you. And that life is exhausting 
and you're gonna find out very quickly that you can't be God, and you're gonna find very quickly you need a savior, and that's Emmanuel, God with us. To the religious people who live life below God, if you're tired of going through the motions, if you're tired of trying your best to earn God's favor and earn God's blessing, and you're saying it's just not working out, guess what? It's not gonna work out because that's not the way that God works. You don't earn your way to God. God came to you. God came to us, Emmanuel, God with us. So to the religious people who live life below God, I've got good news. You don't have to do that anymore. We have a better option. We have Emmanuel. We have God with us. And to the consumer who lives life from God and says, I want to use God to get more things. At the end of the day, I'm here to tell you, God is better than your stuff. God is better than the things that he gives you. All God wants is to be with you. That is the Christmas story. That is the message of Emmanuel. He is God with us. And Jesus, who came into this world to be with us 2,000 years ago, wants to come and be with you right now. And, and maybe you've never believed that. Maybe that you've never thought of God in that way that he actually wants to be with you. He actually, all he wants is a relationship with you, not a bunch of rules, not a bunch of stuff you have to do to make him happy. There's nothing you can do that'll make him more happy than he already is with you right now because his joy in you and his happiness in us isn't rooted in what we do. It's based on the finished work of what his son did after he came to this earth and was born as a little baby. 33 years later, he would go to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus would there die and he would take the punishment for all of the foolish mistakes I've made and that I will continue to make. All my sin, all my guilt, shame, condemnation. He took it all so that he could be with us. As a holy, righteous God, he can be with me because we're made perfect through what Jesus has done. And so God is not just with us through Jesus 2,000 years ago. Today, he wants to be with you personally. That's all he wants. And if you're here and you've never received that and you've never believed that, all you have to do is just in your heart, you can just say, I want that. I want God to be with me. I'm tired of me trying to get to God. I'm tired of trying to bury my pain and brokenness. I'm tired of all of that. God wants to be with you. And just through in your heart saying, Jesus, I, I want that. Would you be with me? I want to be with you. Through that simple prayer in your heart, God will be with you. You will be given the Holy Spirit. He will give you a new heart and new desires and your life will forever be changed. We're here to celebrate today the good news of Jesus Christ, our Savior, Emmanuel, who is God with us. Amen?